Not listening to this advice could cost you millions. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Yeah, Brian, this is going to be an exciting one uh, <laughs> because they're all very, very exciting ones. And this is what I think is, is interesting. You know, we've been uh, managing money, being financial advisors, helping people with their finances, which is wonderful. We get to see people uh, dream of goals they want to achieve or life accomplishments and watch them happen. But one of the other things we get to see is when people maybe get things out of whack and maybe go in the wrong direction and maybe do the things that are less than optimal. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we have just a huge uh, library of knowledge of what not to do. And we're going to share some of those on today's show. I'm shocked because we spent so much time in pre-show planning Mm -hmm. trying to make sure we got the verbiage right on close to four decades. Close to, to four, four decades, decades of experience that we share. By the way, I'm the anchor for that. I'm the old one here. So I think that I'm I carry a I'm lot adding, of that I'm water. I'm adding some. So it's, um, but we did, we did look at that. And I think it is interesting because what I have just love about our profession is that I can show people you take these same dollars out of your wallet, out of your purse, but how you use them will end up with two distinct different yep. paths. And, and there is a better way to do it. And this is one of those things, if you have not done it, I want you to go to moneyguy.com slash resources. We have all kind of free information on there for you to download. And one of the big ones that we've been perfecting really for the last five years. Yep. So we've been working on this as kind of been as we fine-tuned it with you guys as part of the Money Guy family and is the the nine steps of the financial order of operations. So go download the free, you know, PDF deliverable that we have on this and it's going to walk you through because this is exactly what we want to cover is if you screw up the free step, I mean the steps here of foo, it can completely take you in a direction you don't want to be. And, and I think what I think is so interesting when I see folks getting getting stuff out of whack or making wrong financial decisions, the big ones are pretty obvious. Like, oh, if you go rack up credit card debt or, oh, if you go spend more money than you make, like those are pretty obvious. What yeah. I think is interesting about getting these steps out of order is sometimes you're making big mistakes that are costly and you don't recognize it or, or even more so you think that you're actually doing the right thing. Oh, I'm making a good decision to do this thing, not realizing what the true opportunity cost of that decision is. So we broke this into five case studies yep. and we did our deep dive treatment where we actually show you numbers because I think that's the thing. Sometimes you get the concept, but nobody has ever actually shown you the numbers. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I think this is so important because look, there are a lot of people that are doing podcasts. There are a lot of people doing YouTube channels and it's easy for you to go gravitate to a personality because you like their presentation mm-hmm. style. And then you go, Maybe I need to go this path, but nobody ever shows you the numbers. It's more of the feeling you got from this person versus the analytics of the calculation. Yep. So we want to talk about, number one, I want to do a case study of misinterpreting financial advice. And we see this so often because there is, one, there's a lot of bad financial information out there. That's just that's just the fact. There's a lot of snakes in our industry. There's a lot of folks who just don't share really sound financial management information But there are others that share a lot of really, really good information. But just because the information they share is good doesn't mean that when we hear it, when we receive it, we interpret it correctly. And sometimes we can take good information, apply it in the wrong way, 
it'll have us ending up in, in a place that we don't want to be in. So let's kind of talk about this because I have I have a case study of this was um, somebody that I knew that you know was in my orbit. You could sure. say um, high income attorney. You know, was a young attorney, but quickly in a, a high cr- career trajectory, and they had gotten excited about getting out of debt. All debt. Because mm-hmm. and look, this is how this kind of builds up is that you get out of the credit cards, which we all agree credit cards are horrible yes. on that. Yep. You can use credit cards, but credit card debt is a no-no. If you have any credit card debt, you're not winning the game. You're actually turning compounding interest upside down. So this person was so excited after they got all their credit cards paid off that they decided they were going to keep that feel-good moment going, and they were paying off low-interest student loan yep. debt. They were considering, you know, doing things w- that was costing them employer matches. That's the I mean, one. and we talk about that. If you if you talk about the financial order of operations, step number two is get that free money from your employer mm-hmm. match. I can't believe anybody would walk away from a fifty percent or a hundred percent guaranteed rate of return, but we see people do it all the time. Yeah, it, it's pretty it's pretty obvious. So we say this on the show at least every time we talk about this. If we were to say, hey, shoot us an email and we're gonna send you twenty bucks, every single person would shoot us that email so they could get their twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. Your employer's doing the exact same thing. Hey, if you just put a little bit of skin in this game, we are going to give you free money. Yet for some reason, because it's not something in my hands that I can go spend today, I don't take advantage of it. That's crazy. That's just missing a huge, huge opportunity. Another thing, you know, just because I want to close out the free money section Mm -hmm. of this, is we see people that are not taking advantage. Look, I told you, credit card debt is a four-letter word. You can't use credit card debt. But you can use credit cards for all types of things. Make sure you're maximizing rewards. If you've got, think about things that you don't have uh, a behavioral side to it. You know you're going to pay your utilities sure. every month. And it's not really, using a credit card to pay that is not changing it's a not thing. It's not changing consumption You know, behavior. your annual insurance premiums for, for certain things, because you, Bo, Bo, I know you've had a history of, you found that you could pay, sometimes you could pay your property and casualty yep. and other things. Those type of things are not influenced by your behavior of using the mm-hmm. credit card. These are just fixed large expenses that you can maximize sure. to your benefit. And then shopping ninja skills. We, we're not going to go a deep dive on this. We've done so many shows just talking about shopping portals, you know, rewards, and other things. Just make sure you're not leaving free money on the table. If you're someone who does shop online or use those resources, go to moneyguide.com, click on our archives, and, and search shopping ninja, and we'll walk you through how to make sure that you're you're stretching your dollar three to five percent further than all of your peers. At some point, it's probably a deliverable. Sure, we do yeah. have a three prong approach to hitting that. We could easily turn that into a deliverable. But let's talk about how you get debt payment out of whack mm-hmm. because that that really is the the big thing. I want to do a case study and a deep dive on. And let's talk about specifically step number five of financial order of operations. That's Roth IRAs, health savings accounts. Yep, we all know Roth IRAs. Do not get a tax deduction when you make the contribution. What, but the huge benefit is you get tax-free growth, and you're going to see compounding interest. We talk about 88 times over all the time. Yep. is so powerful. Health savings accounts, triple tax advantage. Mm-hmm. You do get the tax deduction on those contributions. You also get to let them grow tax-deferred. And then if you use them for qualified medical expenses, all the growth, all the income is completely tax-free, it's hard to beat all the activity that you can do in step number five. So you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, tax-free savings, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty amazing. Well, the government's kind of recognized that too. And what they've said is, 
if you make over a certain amount of income, if you're a single mm -hmm. person, you make over this amount. If you're married, you make over that amount. You can't even contribute directly to a Roth IRA anymore. So for a lot of folks who have an income trajectory, or maybe early in their career, they're not making as much, but odds are their income is going to keep going up. There's a chance that their window for even getting money into a Roth IRA is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So if you're not taking advantage of that because perhaps you're doing something else, you might be missing a huge opportunity that you can't get that water back up the well, hill on. This attorney I'm thinking of is because they, because look, I realize student loan interest comes in different shapes sure. and sizes. This one I know for a fact was an interest rate less than 5%. So mm -hmm. I would classify that as low interest sure. debt. Whereas, especially if you're in a lower income situation, because this was a brand new attorney, high trajectory, meaning that I knew it was only a matter of two, three years before they were crossing six figure status. But at the time, They'd have still been eligible for the interest deduction on the on the student loan yep. interest, and they also could have really taken advantage of the compounding interest and letting that army of dollar bills do the heavy lifting. And we decided we do a case study. Let's show somebody. Let's show everybody what we're actually talking about here when you put numbers to it. Yeah. So we thought we're going to combine sort of those two ideas: prepaying student loan debt and also missing an employer match. So let's use a case study. Let's look at two individuals. We're going to call them Caitlin and Thomas and say they recently graduated law school at the age of 25. Uh, they both ended up with $100,000 in student loan debt at 4% interest and a 20-year term. So it's going to mm -hmm. take 20 years for them to pay back those student loans. Well, Caitlin decides she's going to pay an extra $500 per month on the loans to try to get those loans satisfied quickly. However, Thomas is going to save $500 per month to his employer 401k so that he gets a match. So he's going to have that $500 go into his, his retirement account, and he's going to get a match on that money, $500 from his employer as well. Before you go any further, I want to make sure I'm clear on this, because we get it, when we do these case studies, there's a lot of questions that come up. Dollar for dollar, these are the exact same sums coming out of That's pocket. That's exactly right. So if you, you know, $500 coming from Caitlin, $500 coming from Thomas, there is no difference in the money actually leaving their household. So they're going to go on these two trajectories and let's see how it plays out. So what happens is, is over that 20 years, Thomas actually pays $145,000 for the $100,000 of student loans. So over the course of that 20 year period, he paid $45,000 of interest. Well, if you look at Caitlin, because she was paying extra, she actually had her loan paid off over nine years, and she only paid about $119,000. So she saved $26,000 in interest over Thomas. So right there, you'd say, man, Caitlin had this figured out. She must have recognized that if I just pay that little bit extra, I can get out of this debt and I can save interest. Surely that was the right decision. And this is the part, when you go look at our previous shows on this, where we've done, it doesn't matter if it's mortgage analysis, it doesn't matter if it's student loan, that everybody always says, you guys do not take into account all the money they saved in interest. Mm -hmm. We're right here showing you, and that's why we took an extra step here. Yep. Caitlin, without a doubt, is winning the game of saving interest because she saved, as this shows, $26,000. But is that where it ends? I don't think so. Because remember, that money had an opportunity to go do something completely different. And that is the opportunity cost because remember, Thomas decided he was actually going to take that $500 and put his army of dollar bills to work. So what does that look like? Yeah, so what Thomas actually did is he took his $500 and he put it to work. But remember, there was an employer match involved. So his dollars even get supercharged. 
So he starts getting his match at age 25. Well, Caitlin, because she waited until she paid off the student loans, she didn't actually start getting her match until nine years in after she had paid off all of the student loans. Well, what we find is that age 45, at the end of the term, both of them have no student loans. They are both at a zero balance on their student loans, but Thomas has $743,000 in his 401k because he got his army of dollar bills working and he didn't walk away from the free money. Caitlin only has about $257,000 in her 401k. And I want to repeat, zero difference in what came out of pocket. Yep. But yet there's close to a $500,000 terminal benefit. That's here. exactly right. And, and Caitlin, and I have to believe when Caitlin made this decision, she said, you know what? I'm going to be responsible. I've got this debt. I'm going to get rid of this debt. I'm going to pay it off. That's a good thing. It's not like she went and blew the $500. It's not like she was out spending the money. She was making a wise financial decision in theory. However, it was not the optimal financial decision. Had she been following the financial order of operations, by the age of 45, she'd been half a million dollars better than she ended up being. So here's where I think this thing goes sideways a little bit is that a lot of people will say, what you guys don't understand is that when I get completely debt free, I'm going to take every dollar that was going towards that debt, and I'm going to, I have this mindset where I'm going to put it all towards the future. How could I not? Because I won't be paying interest. The problem with that, guys, is that what you're missing out on is that every dollar you have when you're in your 20s is worth a lot more than the money you have when you're in your 50s because that time, remember, wealth is surprisingly simple, yep. but the creation is a lot harder because people aren't taking advantage of, what does it take? It takes discipline. Yep. It takes money, meaning that you use that discipline, you're living on less than you make, and that turns into money, excess margin in your lifestyle. And then you actually put that to work for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. So you have discipline, money, and time. Don't neglect, don't disrespect how valuable that time is to creating that wealth. And that's the problem with these dollars. If you have low interest debt, I'm talking about especially, we're in an environment now, and we're about to talk about mortgage sure. interest. And, and that's what, this is probably a great transition to kind of go into number two is mortgage-free at all expense. Because realize, people get so excited mm -hmm. about becoming debt-free and this is one I even want to give cover for somebody that lives in our backyard yeah. is that a lot of people will get excited because Dave Ramsey has them and everybody at Ramsey Solutions has them excited about getting out of debt. But then they screw it up. They're not even doing the baby steps. Right. They are doing Davish. Yep. Whereas they get so excited about getting out of credit card debt. They get so excited about the high interest student loan debt. Because remember, you do need to make an analysis. Is this low interest or is this high interest mm -hmm. student loan debt? And then they move on right to the low interest mortgage. That's right. And mortgage, I think, is a really interesting one because we just showed that, you know, where Caitlin and Thomas, the previous example, ended up, okay, Sheila ended up in a, in a less than optimal situation, but she still had some savings built up. The mortgage is a little bit different. Mortgage is one that can leave you in a more dire circumstance and you don't even realize it. Well, and I think mortgages, because we're now talking about interest rates that are less than 3%. Sure. Holy cow. I mean, can you fast forward and think about what this looks like in uh, years in the sure. future as interest rates go up? But I, I do want to bring it back to a case study. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have a Sunday school class mm -hmm. and I had one, when I first started doing the Sunday school class with another couple, um, we had, I had a, a, a woman come up to me. She was brand new to the class 
and she says, "I'm a widow, mm-hmm. and I want, and I, as soon as I find out what you did for a living, I want you, I want to tell you something so nobody else makes the mistake that I made." Okay. And here's what her story was: is that her husband passed away, um, you know, kind of younger. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this was sub fifty, so sure. this was kind of unexpected. And she got some life insurance money. And a lot of the people in her, you know, around her said, you know what you need to do? You need to just pay off the mortgage. Just go ahead and because get rid of that debt. Just get rid of the debt because that about. way, if no matter what comes your way, you'll have a paid for house. You'll have shelter over your head. And she says she did that. She mm-hmm. took that life insurance money. And this is somebody, by the way, in their 40s. So I don't even, I, you know, I, I prepaying debt. It's not. I'm not going to fight you on that if it's the right time in your sure. financial order of operations. But here's the rest of the story on this: is she goes, I used all that life insurance money, paid off the debt, and then I still got kids in the house. Mm-hmm. When it came time to buy them supplies for school, when it came time to pay insurance premiums, when it came time to pay property taxes, I didn't have any liquidity sure. to pay the bills. So I, you know, because and this is something we say all the time, Bo. You can't eat a house. You can't eat a house. That's exactly so, right. So, I mean, you can have all the equity in the world in your house, but if you need cash, if you need money, you're going to be in trouble. Now, there's nothing wrong. I think I always like a more balanced approach, and this is what I love about what we've created with Financial World of Operations is, is that if she would have probably done a balance, meaning made sure she had the cash reserves settled up, made sure she had enough money set forward for the future, there probably was a chunk of money that could have gone towards the mortgage debt Absolutely. to pay it down substantially faster, but it didn't need to be an all or nothing type strategy, which a lot of people, when they're so excited about getting out of debt that they screw that whole process up. And what I think is really interesting is this does not just happen with windfalls. This isn't this. We don't just see this when someone comes into life insurance or an inheritance or something like that. Uh, We see this a lot with folks who are planning for financial independence, and they're under the impression that this is the prudent way to get to financial independence. What they don't realize is that wealth building is a young person's game. It is. I mean, it really is. I mean, think about when you're 20 years old, you can swing for the fences on risk. Mm -hmm. You can do uh, an S&P type 500 equivalent type investment, which historically around 10% yep. every year if you can make it through the the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're walking up that mountain with the yo-yo. Yes, there's ups and downs in the short term, but long term, it's good. And also remember, young man's game, young woman's game, and sure. the fact that while you're in your 20s, you actually should be very excited every time the market is getting its teeth mm-hmm. kicked in. Get excited because you got a lot more that you're buying versus a, you're not using much at that yep. point. You're building your army of dollar bills. But people get so thrown off on this is that they don't understand when you're 20 years old, every dollar has the power to become $88. That's exactly right. When you're 30, every dollar has the power to become $23. Because realize, as you get older, you're going to have to start dialing down the risk. You'll start adding more asset allocation. By the time you're 40 years old... Every dollar by the time you turn 65 has the potential to turn into $7. Do you hear those drop-offs? We went from 88, 23. Now we're at 7. Guys, this is a young person's game. Make sure you're not squandering that opportunity. Because remember, what are the three components of wealth creation? It's discipline, it's money from the margin Mm -hmm. that you've created, and then 
give it the respect of the time to let it grow. Yeah, and Brian, you said earlier something I think is so interesting. And I hear this from a lot of folks in the FIRE movement, especially those folks who are in their 30s and 40s and are, or who want to be financially independent in their 30s and 40s and say, no, I'm going to get my debt paid off and then I'm going to have all that extra money that I can throw in the portfolio. So once I get that gone... Well, I would encourage you, if you're someone who has that mindset, I want you to go to our website, go to moneyguy.com slash resources, and I want you to look at our wealth multiplier. Now, the actual name of this thing is called How Powerful Are Your Dollars? Because somebody told us it's not called Wealth Multiplier. That's just what we dubbed it. What this shows is exactly how powerful every dollar can be at each age. So if you're a 33-year-old thinking, man, should I really prepay my mortgage or should I take that money and have it work for me? Every dollar that you deploy at age 33 will turn over 16 times by the time you hit 65. If you don't understand this concept, go download this deliverable. It's completely free. Take this and use this to inform yourself in how you make financial decisions. So you hit it. You just said what we think is the extreme, which is a lot of people will say, especially as you mentioned, we kind of the fire movement, yep. financial independence, retire early. They think that if they can get out of debt, they will then throw all of the throw everything but the kitchen sink on sure. top of saving for the future. We're not even when we do this case study, Bo. We're not even going to take that extreme of an mm -hmm. approach. What I wanted to do was I said, let's go with this in a different route. What if you're? Because remember, this is the other part. We talk about the messy middle of your thirties. You got typically you're new to marriage, new to owning houses, new to having children. Kids, yep. And so life is just kicking you all over the place. So margin, especially remember that component of wealth creation, which is discipline and then money. Mm -hmm. you got to have the money so you can have army of dollar bills. That's harder to do, especially when you're told you've got to go buy a 15-year sure. mortgage, yep. especially if you're in a rising uh, appreciating real estate market. Mm -hmm. If you live on either either the coast or in a hot city like Austin, Texas, or Nashville, Nashville Tennessee, yep. I mean, I feel so bad. I've had so many discussions with even our own employees, and I'm like, look, the reality is you might not have 20% on the first house. I'm giving you a pass mm -hmm. on that first house. So make sure you understand that you just got to get on the train yep. so you can have the shelter, so you can have the money, and, and have it working for you by getting the benefits of homeownership. And then people just take it to the extreme and they say, well, I've been told I need to do a 15-year sure. mortgage. Well, yeah, I love that because I know the stat that the typical millionaire, according to some of the research, is they pay their house off in 10 years. Mm -hmm. We know that stat. That's not their first house. It's not the first home. It's typically the third home. And I, and by the way, I resemble this stat is that you do, once you cross 45, and as we told you, that wealth multiplier impact is much smaller. Yep. There is nothing wrong with attacking the debt. But what I'm worried about is that 20-something or that 30-something that chooses a 15-year mortgage versus a traditional 30-year mortgage, not realizing they might need that margin so they can still have money for, for paying all the bills, taking care of the kiddos, as well as making sure your army of dollar bills is not disrespected. I'll take it a step further and say, I just think it's really solid and sound mathematics given where interest rates are right now. Because again, conventional wisdom used to be, yeah, do the 15-year, do that. Well, now that conventional wisdom might not hold so true. So again, in true money guy fashion, we wanted to do a case study. We wanted to kind of put the numbers to the test to see if it actually pans out. So uh, FTE Daniel, again, hooking us up with an illustration. Let's take two individuals, Dave and Melissa, and let's assume that they're both 25 years old. And they both are going to buy a home. And let's say that the purchase price of that home is $300,000. 
they're going to put 20% down. So they're both going to take out a mortgage of $240,000. So two 25 year olds, they're going to buy each buy a house, $240,000 mortgage. Uh, Dave says, you know what? I'm going to go with conventional wisdom. I'm going to do a 15 year mortgage. Melissa says, you know, I've been listening to the money guy show. I think I'm going to go with a 30 year. Well, because Dave did the 15-year, he gets a more attractive mortgage rate. His interest rate on his mortgage is only 2.5%. Melissa has to take a slightly higher rate because she's doing a 30-year, so her rate's going to be 3.25%. So Dave already is looking much better here. Dave's monthly payment, just like you said, because it's a 15-year mortgage, is higher. He's got to pay $1,600 a month on his mortgage. Because Melissa is stretching hers out over 30 years, her monthly mortgage payment is only a little over $1,000 at $1,044. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I want There's several things here. First of all, 15-year mortgage, 2.5%. I get excited. That sounds exciting. But I'm also in my late 40s. So I should get excited over a 15-year versus a 30-year. Here's another key thing. The same house, there was no difference in purchase price of these houses. Yep. We have a $300,000 house. We're also only financing 80%, doing all the conventional sure. things that you're told. The difference in the monthly payment is $1,600 on the 15-year versus a 30-year is $1,044. That leaves an additional $500-plus of extra margin. That's right. So what are we going to do with that $500? So here's what we're going to say. We're going to assume Melissa recognizes there's an opportunity here, so she's going to invest that extra $556. Well, then once her mortgage is paid off after 30 years, she's going to invest the full amount, the $1,600. Dave, because his mortgage will be gone after 15 years, he's actually going to start investing $1,600 after 15 years. So again, and you said this earlier, Brian, this is the exact same cash outflow. They are both, for the next 30 years, going to have $1,600 a month flowing out. Days is going to go all to the mortgage. Melissa's is going to have 1000 go to the mortgage, but an extra $556 is going to go to an investment account. So we've done this before. We did this called this Tell of Two Savers, yep. exactly what it's titled now. But guys, this is the new and improved. We took all of your negative comments and we said, let's go, let's go troll slay them. You know, so we're, we're knocking them down with the hammer. You're going to wait until you see what we've done with this. So let's look at how both of them look. So if you're, again, if you're listening out on uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, any of those places, Spotify, you ought to go check out the YouTube because this illustration is really, really powerful. Because here's what I think is interesting. At age 30, so after the first five years, Dave's mortgage is down to a, a little over 169000 Melissa still, owe, still uh, owes $214,000. So Dave has been knocking down the mortgage hardcore, but Melissa does have about $43,000 invested. So she has a little bit of money saved up. By age 40, and this is what I think is really remarkable, Dave is completely debt-free. Yeah. He has no mortgage. He owns his house. He gets to sit on the earth that he has, but... He also has no investments. So I gotta think at age at age forty, Dave's feeling, feeling great. pretty sweet. Even though he you know, he's not looking over at Melissa's page yet to nope. see what she's doing because he's feeling really good about being debt free. Meanwhile, Melissa still has a mortgage. She still has a hundred and forty eight thousand dollar mortgage when Dave just paid us off. So if they're at the cocktail party, Dave is bragging and Melissa's like, Oh man, did I make a right the right decision? However, she does have $212,000 saved up. So technically, if you look at the total net-net, she's $64,000 ahead of Dave at, at age 40, right? That's so great. 15 years in. 
Well, if we go to 50, now remember, Dave started saving more money as soon as his, as soon as his mortgage was paid off. So he has $1,600 a month going into the investment account. At that time, Melissa only still has 556 going in. So he's saving three times as much on a monthly basis. Well, at age 50, he still has zero mortgage. He's actually built up now almost $300,000, $296,000. Melissa still has the mortgage. That yeah. thing's still hanging around. She owes $58,000, but her investment account is worth $573,000. So now at age 50, after 25 years, she is almost $220,000 ahead of Dave. Now, before we, we kind of go to the grad, you know, go to, to 60, the sure. graduation point here to see what things look like if you're making decisions on retirement, I noticed there's some fine print at the bottom of this yep. is that we didn't get so crafty that we assumed, hey, you're going to put this in an S&P 500 index fund during the entire sure. 30 to 40 year period. We're actually, I see a, a little slope there, a glide path. You know, in your 20s, it's 10%, 30s, it's 9%. In your 40s, it's dropping down to 8%. Yep. Seven, and by the time you're in your 50s, it's 7%. And you see, we keep dropping it down into 6%, even in your 60s. That is the way it works in, right. in real life, too, as you dial the risk down. That's all accounted for. All the interest expense are accounted for. Mm -hmm. This is an apples to apples. So what's the big impact? And this is how we're able to do a show title like, Your Decision Can Cost You Millions. That's right. By age 60, they are both debt-free. So they both now own their home. Dave has an investment portfolio worth $871,000, which is excellent. $871,000, nothing to be scoffed at. However, Melissa's portfolio, she's also debt-free, but she now has over $1.2 million, almost $1.25 million. It is a $377,000 difference. And I just think it's worth reminding you, they both had the exact same amount of money flowing out every month from the time they were 25 all the way until they were 60. So this difference could be also like Roth savings is here. But sure. we, remember, these are typically the same person that's making this mistake is also missing out on that employer match for that period. I'm telling you, if you start stacking these differences, you quickly can see that this is not a six-figure mistake. This could quickly turn into a seven-figure mistake without a zero difference in how the dollars were spent. It's all on the decision-making. It's all about the financial order of operations and getting things out of whack yep. and not maximizing every dollar that comes into your per your custody and making sure you are using maximization techniques. Now, I do think I'm going to throw a disclaimer out real quick because a lot of folks in the chat, one of the beautiful things about the live chat is we can see what you're saying here, saying, yeah, I did a mix. I'm still investing, but I'm paying... All we're trying to lay out for is the mathematics. The beautiful thing about financial planning is it's part math and science, but there's also part art to it. You have to think about what are your ultimate goals? What are the things you're What's working your towards? What's your why? We're not saying that one of these is 100% right and the other is 100% wrong. We're just showing you the numbers so that you can make an informed decision to take your finances to the next level. And look, I, I will tell you, I am post 45. So I have been working on accelerating my debt payment because I'm way past saving 25% yep. of my income. It makes complete sense to be responsible and get that debt paid off because I can. I mean, yep. it is one of those things. But you and I had several discussions. In March, when the stock market got crushed, mm -hmm. you're like, you're crazy if you're still accelerating your debt prepayment yep. right now. And I took it to heart. I was like, you know what? He's Bo right. Bo was right. I mean, because my interest rate is super low on this mortgage. 
I ought to probably take these next few months while the market has this type of volatility, has this type of valuation. I ought to load up everything that was going towards that low interest mortgage. Yep. Ought to go into the the equity markets, and sure enough, it did. Now, I mean, it is one of those things that I think that you have to take into account your why. You have to take into account what you're saving. Because remember, I have no problem. Here's the thing I think is interesting about financial order of operations. The trick question that would be out there in Trivial Pursuit if you were doing Foo edition of this is, can you be 35 years old or even 30 years old and prepay your mortgage and Brian and Bo not get mad at you? Yeah. The answer is yes. Absolutely. It's because you've gone through all the other steps of the financial order of operation is that you've saving 25% of your income. You're saving to make sure that you, all your prepaid expenses yep. of thinking about the kiddos, college, and other things, and all those things have been respected, and you still have money because maybe you're in a high-income situation. Yeah, go knock it out. Go go destroy the, the debt. I'm perfectly fine with that because you've paid respect to the financial order of operations and done it in the right order. Yep, I love it. Love it, love it. So let's move on. And this one, by the way, I have thrown so much shade at other, uh, you know, I've talked about people from Sunday school class. Uh-huh. I've talked about prospects. We've talked about clients. Yep. It's time to be a little more self-reflective <laughs> because this number three on what we're going to go here on a case study is... Yours truly. Yep. This is Brian. So here's the thing is number three is thinking you're not going to have a rainy day. Now, I think this is beautiful, Brian, because you're the eternal optimist. I am. You just do. Even when we were talking about like how to name this section of the show, (laughs) you're like, guys, I don't want to talk about a rain. Like, can we just talk about how we're just thinking all the days are going to be sunny? I was like, "That, that is your eternal optimism coming out. But when it comes to like prudent, sound financial planning, it might, while it's great to be an optimist, we need to recognize that not all the days are going to be sunny. I love the infographic Daniel did here where it's just like a sunshine every single day. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, don't weathermen wish it was that yeah, that's way. Right. And that's what, what I think is interesting is that if you know – by the way, it's good to be an optimist. Yeah, All of sure. our wealth studies that we've done here for the Money Guy Show, when we do our, our, our wealth index that we send out to clients, the majority, the vast majority of our, of our successful clients – are optimists. So yep. I'm actually very happy to be a glass half full personality, sure. but it is a blind spot. And I've gotten caught up in this. And I wanted to share with you guys so that you didn't also let the the rosy outlook cloud you from respecting the financial order of operations and doing things wrong. Because what do we know is in the financial order of operations, step number one is deductibles covered. Yep. And why do we have deductibles covered and only deductibles covered? We didn't call it emergency reserves nope. yet. We just said deductibles covered. The reason is we're trying to keep your financial life out of the ditch. There are going to become things, and you're worried about the big stuff that could happen, whether it's a medical event, you want to make sure you have your, your HSA deductibles covered, or there could be a, you know, a car accident sure. or a car repair that you need to do, so you need to make sure you have your comprehensive and collision deductibles covered. And by the way, you don't have to stack these things. I think a lot of people get confused when when we're doing step number one and they think that, okay, if I know that my out-of-pocket is like $3,500 and then my I have $1,000 or $1,500 on the cars. You don't have to do $5,000 in total. You need to make sure you have $3,500. It's the highest of the two. odds are you're not going to hit them all at once. It's going to be one or the other. So you go write down all your deductibles and make sure you have at least the highest one covered and you know you've kind of graduated past step one. Step four is emergency reserves. That's the one, yep. I mean, because this is, this is what I got myself in trouble with, and this is, this is easy to do. 
realize when we got to 2008, mm-hmm. which the big, if you don't know, the Great Recession, a big driving factor of it was real estate. Sure. The debt specifically with real estate, with mortgage-backed securities and all these things. Well, here's, here's what was being pushed out there at the time. God ain't making more real estate, so real estate does not lose Can't value. Go down in value. That's what I mean. That really is kind of everybody thinking real estate was forever and ever. And look, I do agree in a lot of ways. It is a limited supply of inventory. Sure. So there, there is, there's a, a nugget of truth in that statement. The problem is there's a lot of ups and downs yep. that can happen in that long term walk up the mountain that that you're dealing with with real estate. Well, I was in a house that I'd bought in the early 2000s that had appreciated nicely. Mm -hmm. And I had, and Bo, I don't even mind if you show this. At the time in 2006, my house was appraised at $510,000. Now, you bought the house in 2003, 2004. Yeah, 2003. You I did paid, not pay $510,000. I paid like dollars for this if you took into account everything. So in a couple of years, you have like six figures of growth, meaning Who six figures of cash reserves. Why you would you up? need cash reserves? Because they have these beautiful things that they created at the time. Well, you, you still can get them. It's just they're not as, as sexy as they were <laughs> then. It's home equity lines of credit. Sure. I mean, the banks were so excited about this that they'd actually drive out to your, you know, to where you live or where you work. It'd be a no-cost refinance. Yep. They'd cover all the recording fees. They'd do everything. They'd even drive out. And then right after, about a week after you closed, after they showed up at your house, you'd get a checkbook. Yep. And you'd get a debit slash credit card that you could use towards the home equity mm-hmm. line. And man, this is great. Sounded great. Who needs cash? I got this six figures of equity. And I think you guys know the rest of the story. And here's what I had happen to me. Wells Fargo... Let me know in 2010. So we're right. Remember, the downturn was late 2008, but it took because real estate, this is another thing people need to understand. You see, with the financial markets, the stock market, we have what's called a V shaped recovery, meaning that it gets overheated. Then people start selling and it gets overheated on the selling side. And then people realize, wait a minute. People are always go buy Coca-Cola. So, you know, the, the price will start, sure. it will immediately V-shape recovery. It'll go down and then pop back up. Real estate has what's known as a U-shaped recovery, yep. meaning that you can get your teeth kicked in and then it just drags just on the bottom, the bottom for a little bit. So that's what happened. 2008 happened. It took a little time for the bad news to really have full impact on my real estate. But you can see in March of 2010, my $510,000 house, according to Wells Fargo, was now worth $273,000. Well, that's okay, Brian, because you did have equity in there of like six figures. So they still let you keep that, right? Like they still let you write checks off of it and have access to your pseudo emergency reserve account, right? So here's the thing, because I'm, I'm willing to admit what I've learned. Y'all think, like I did a previous example of 15-year versus 30-year mortgage. You know what type of mortgage Brian had back then during this period too? Actually, 15-year mortgage. Oh, yes. Yeah, so so why not load it up? So I had, no, not only did I have a higher payment asked to me, but I also, the, the reason Wells Fargo was so nice to let me know that my house was no longer worth, the reason I have this letter, is they were also saying, hey, by the way, that home equity line of credit we gave you access mm-hmm. to, don't write any more checks. Don't use it because we've we've shut down your checkbook. We've shut down your debit card access. You are stuck paying what you own. And if you need cash, don't worry. We'll just take your house. I mean, because that's kind of <laughs> that's what they're the they're telling you. Because I had if you did not have liquidity, 
you were going to get hosed in this transaction. And that's the big thing I realized, and I never, ever, ever will neglect in financial order of operations step number one, which is deductibles covered, yep. and step number four, emergency reserves ever again. Because just because you have this false sense of security does not mean that your financial life is in a good place. And so it's easy to think about uh, think about. Every, all the days being sunny when it comes to like emergency reserves and cash on hand, but that's not the only place that we see it. We also see it with like risk management. I can't tell you how many times we'll talk to a potential client or new client and say, hey, you know, you're really underinsured from a life insurance perspective. You ought to think about having more. And their answer is, no, I make tons of money. The family will be fine. Well, what you don't realize is like, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you're not making tons of money anymore. That's the reason that you have it. Or, or we see this one a lot. We'll say, hey, do you have updated estate documents? And they'll be oh, yeah, you know, we talked about that, but we just can't figure out what's going to happen with the kids and who would take it. So we, we just haven't done it. We always immediately follow that with, if you think that it's difficult for you to have the conversation about where your money is going to go and who's going to take care of the kids, if it's hard for you to figure that out, imagine how much more difficult it will be if you're not here to speak for yourself and your family has to figure it out or the court system has to figure it out, you want to make sure that you're covering those bases because we hope, we hope that you never have to enact those things. We hope that the estate documents are just a thing that sit in a safe deposit box and you don't have to worry about for 50 more years. But in the event that it does happen, it is invaluable to have those documents in place and up to date. Yeah. And think about, like, as you mentioned, insurance. Sure. Term insurance is one of the most valuable things that you can look we that you can have. I mean, we use a lot of it ourselves. Yep. But here's something I think people get confused about. They're trying to be like, why would I do term versus permanent? I, guys, you got to figure out. You got to make some estimations of where graduation is, where you will be self reliant, sure. meaning that you're either financially independent because that's what you're financially independent because part of what you're buying term insurance for is to cover. All the promises, all the obligations you wouldn't be able to fulfill if you were taken prematurely. So if you're young and you have children in the house, go figure out when will the kids be out of the house? When will I be financially independent? If those things line up, and maybe that's in 20 years, 20-year term. It's great. And that'll also protect you from medical issues that come down the pipe. It's just something you really ought to consider. Another thing we didn't give any attention to, but it's worth at least mentioning, Disability oh, insurance. Oh, that's a huge one. You're much more, now look, we're all going to die. So it's, it's ridiculous for me to say you're much more likely to be disabled than you are to die because that's not completely true. But it is, you're much more likely to become disabled before you've left employment. Sure. It's really kind of the, the, the stress you need to focus on that. So pay attention to that, the, ensuring your income ensuring you're incapacitated, all that stuff is super important. And you just, um, and look, like I said, coming from an optimist, you got to ensure that you're in a good place no matter what comes down the pipe. You don't want to assume that every day is going to be a bad day or it's going to be rain and storm clouds. However, you want to make sure you've got the umbrella just in case. And well, that's the way that you ought to approach your financial decision making. And it lets you take more risk. That's if you right. go ahead and cover all of these type of obligations and concerns, then you can feel comfortable. Yeah, it's okay that I'm out here hitting the accelerator in other places. Yep. Let's transition. This one's going to be kind of trigger the contrarian button with a lot of people because they're like, what? How is that even an issue? And that's what, look, we are unapologetic that the Money Guy Show is for the 20% that is looking to maximize their financial life. We're it. not for the 80%. We are for the 20 that want to maximize. So this is going to be a problem 
for the 20%. Sure. And we see this all the time is number four, you're retirement rich and completely illiquid. No, when I hear that initially, I'm thinking retirement rich, that sounds like a pretty good thing. Yeah. That sounds like, you know, maybe a, a more appropriate title here would have been retirement account rich and illiquid. Well, because let's set this up because I want people, people to read that title and go, I, I, I'm scratching my head on this one. But we see it from time to time. We'll have prospects come in and they will come to us with seven figures mm-hmm. in their retirement accounts. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's a and, great And by the way, all the research shows that this happens all the time is because the typical millionaire is 49 years mm-hmm. of age when they reach that status. But they, they reach it primarily, usually the first status symbol that they've actually reached seven-figure status is, is their employer-provided employer yep. retirement plan. So it's not uncommon for this to happen. But here's the issue. You've got kiddos. You've decided you want to kind of, um, you know, maybe do things a little differently. You want to retire early sure. or other things. You, you got to pay for college education. You got to pay for upcoming cars. And then, but the problem is, you're not old enough to do you it. You can't get to the money. Or it's going to cost you a fortune, meaning that pull $60,000 out, you're going to have to go take $90,000 right. out of your retirement account. That is a less than ideal situation. Yep. So this is why one of the things that we focus on is in step seven of the financial order of operations, we talk about hyperaccumulation. Now, a lot of folks hear that and they think, oh, you're talking about I need to go from 15 to 20 to 25% of my saving. Yeah, that's true. That's one piece of it. But another big piece that happens in the hyperaccumulation phase is that generally is when you start thinking about not just how I'm diversifying my assets, my investments, how am I diversifying the tax structure and the accounts that I house my assets inside of? So you just nailed it in the fact that we talk about tax location. And when people Mm -hmm. say, well, what the heck is tax location? We're really talking about diversification of the tax situation of all of your different bucket of assets. So we have created... But go over the bucket list with them. Yeah, so we thought about really when you get to retirement, you want to have three distinct buckets that you've built up. You want to have your tax-free accounts. Those are like your Roths, your HSAs. Those are the exciting ones. They are bulletproof. Those are the ones that are awesome. You would love to have tax-free assets because you can do a lot of stuff with those once you get to retirement. I notice on the visual. There's no holes on that. There's no puddle of water underneath that bucket. There's no holes in that one because it's a solid one. It's jammed up. So you don't get a tax deduction when you put the money in, but when you put water in that bucket, it holds that, that that bucket holds its value. That's exactly right. Well, then there is the taxable bucket or the after-tax bucket. This one's great too. This is the one that most often gets activated inside of step seven hyperaccumulation, but you'll notice there's a little leak to it. One of the beautiful thing about tax-free accounts and tax-deferred accounts is that while they're growing, while they're out there and your dollars are compounding, you're not paying any tax on them. Well, inside of a taxable account, you do have to actually pay tax on a year-over-year basis. As you get dividends or income that's paid out to you, or as you buy and sell, you do have to pay taxes on those accounts. So you are losing a little bit of your return, a few soldiers in your army, to tax drag. Now, the good news is some of these taxes are actually in a favored rate status, meaning sure. dividends, qualified dividends get a lower tax yep. rate. If you think about capital gains, if as long as you're on long-term holding, sure. they get a bit more favorable yep. tax rate. So even though there's a tax headwind, there are some nice 
the fact that they're cheaper and yeah. is is better. So it does make the leak a little sure. less severe. It helps. You know, it's like it's not the you know the guy that used to slap the duct tape on the boat and it's still floating. <laughs> it's not that good, but it's pretty good. Well, then there is your tax deferred bucket. Now, this bucket is great when you're growing because just like the tax free account, the dollars grow tax deferred, so you don't have any tax drag while you're building it up. However, there are some issues. You can't get to this money until certain requirements are met. You got to be a certain age to be able to access this. And then when you actually can start getting to those dollars, you got to pay ordinary income tax rates, not capital gain rates, ordinary income so tax the rates. highest rates are going to be ordinary income tax rates. So you got to pay yep. attention to that. Bo, there was even more because they also make you take the money. 72, right. you're going to be take required minimum distribution. So here's, here's the deal the government makes with you. We're going to give you a tax deduction. We're also, when you make the contributions, we're also going to let these assets grow without taxes being taken on all the income, all the capital appreciation. However, once you reach the success point of 72, you've lived long enough that the game's over. We're going to start getting our tax dollars. Over your actuarial life, we're going to start requiring you every year to take a certain sum out so that we can start collecting our taxes or ordinary income tax rates. And you know what happens if you're really good at this? It's going to push you up through the rates pretty yep, quickly. That's right. So what I think is interesting about the buckets is we still think there should be three buckets because there are pros and cons to each one of these. So when you think about building up to financial independence, when you think about hyperaccumulation, we want you to establish all three of these buckets because... When you have a tax-deferred account, the dollars go in pre-tax and they're taxed up on distribution. So there's a huge current year present tax benefit if you're funding that tax-deferred bucket. We yep. all see that when we're doing like traditional 401k contributions. For the taxable account, dollars go in after tax. You don't get to defer the taxes, but you can get to that money tomorrow if you need to. You don't have to wait till a certain age. There are no penalties for pulling it out. You can get to it. And the tax-free account is great. The dollars go in after tax, so no deduction, but... When you get to retirement, pull it out, it's completely tax-free, which is a huge benefit. So there are pros and cons to each. So I just found myself, because I know we have just thrown so much knowledge at, a, at the audience that some of them are probably like, did he just turn into, the, did we all just turn into the peanuts teacher with the wah, 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 wah? So I think an illustration will fix this because it I is so much agree. easier when we did this because we knew that we were throwing so much at you. We said the easy way to look at this is what happens as you're investing $500 into each of these buckets? What's the ultimate impact? So Bo, walk them through the actual illustration case study so they know what's going on. Perfect. So if you take $500 a month in each account, Starting at age 30, we're going to put $500 into all three buckets, and we're going to assume the tax-deferred account grows at 8% from age 30 all the way to retirement. We're also going to assume that the tax-free, the Roth account, grows at 8% from age 30 to retirement. Now, because of the taxable account, because we have to pay tax on that every year, we're going to put a tax drag factor on there, so it's only going to grow at 7%. By age 65, in your tax-deferred account, you would have saved, you'd have a little over $1.1 million built up for retirement. However, $1.1 million in a tax-deferred account is not actually worth $1.1 million because you got to pay tax when you pull it out. So if we just assume a 24% tax bracket, again, this is a very elementary, elementary illustration, 
in the tax deferred account, you'd actually have about $872,000 available to spend. Compare that to your taxable account where you'd actually have $900,000 available to spend. And then you can look at your tax-free account. The 1.1 that it was worth is actually what it's worth when you go to pull it out. Again, what we think is your goal should not be to only have all of your assets, all of your wealth, all of your money in just one of these accounts. If you really want to do it the right way, you should focus on building all three of these buckets through your accumulation stage. So here's the key things to also take out of this is that you know, like that tax deferred. Now look, we have an illustration here where we did deferred taxes on the full $1.1 million dollars. We know that that's realistically going to happen over your lifetime. Sure. Uh, but it does. it is worth saying, remember, if you die with that $1.1 million, you don't get a step up in basis. That's right. That is a key thing. So at some point, someone will pay the income taxes on that tax deferred. And look, I feel like because we just did a 401k show that's being very well received, sure. there are some key benefits to why we love people to focus on saving in those retirement accounts because you get the free match. You get to let the money grow without taxation. But you just need to be aware, just like you have diversification of your asset asset allocation, meaning that sometimes... You know, S&P 500 large cap is going to do better than international. Sometimes bonds is going to do better than the S&P 500. It's nice to have a mix of all those things. We're just trying to show you it makes sense to not choose winners or losers between these different accounts. You actually want to have money in all three of these buckets. That's what we're telling you. I'm not trying to tell you to choose the winner or loser. I'm just trying to make sure you understand the why of your portfolio so that you can make sure each bucket has enough water in it. So when you get to retirement, it doesn't matter if you're 50 years old, 55 years Mm -hmm. old, 65 years old, you're going to have the right asset structure to get you through the whole journey. And I, you know, I think this is the super sexy part about it. Not only if you're 50 years old, are you going to have the right asset structure to be able to get to your money, but we see this present day with a number of our clients who have large, seven-figure portfolios, and potentially they're living off of six-figure incomes, yet because they have the different tax structure, they're paying the lowest marginal tax brackets because they can play the tax game. What I think is great is when you get to retirement, no matter what tax policy is, no matter what the highest tax rates are, no matter where you are, if you have these three tax buckets, you get to control and maneuver what you pay in taxes, and that is ultimate financial independence. So I want to close this show out because I know we've loaded everybody up with a lot of love here. You know, case study number five was just putting the cart before the horse. I, I don't know how Daniel finds these pictures. And again, if, if you're out there on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart's Radio, iTunes, Daniel actually has a li- literal picture of a, of a cart before <laughs> before a horse. And this is, I mean, because we hear, we could have also probably titled this, Don't Let the Tax... You know, the tail, the tax tail wag the dog sure. because you hear that. And look, coming from a public accounting background, a CPA background, I get how this you can get your order where you're trying to, you know, save more on taxes than thinking about actually is this the optimal strategy. Sure. But this also happens in a more emotional area as well. We see this with parents, they have a child, you know, and look, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys. You don't know which of your friends are the crazy parents until after they have kids. Hundred percent. Because you can have friends that you go out with for years and you're having a good time, 
and then they have kiddos and all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. They just disappear because now at the center of their universe, it's not the marriage, it's not the friends or anything, it's the kiddos. Can I mean, I, they, are, they are now the son. Can I confess something to you? Are you one of the weird parents? No, no, no. Oh, I don't know. I, here's all I don't know. So Brian, you do this wonderful thing. You've shared all this wisdom with me all through the time that we've been hanging out. And you used to always tell me this when, before I had kids. Hey, Bo, you're not going to know who the crazy parents are until they have kids. And I was there thinking... He said that about me. He's waiting to see if we have kids. We're going to be the crazy ones. I don't know if we did turn into the crazy ones, but I just want you to know that was always an insecurity because I was nervous I was going to be one of the psychos. If you're not, if you if you quit getting phone calls being asked to go out with friends, then you're you the might, crazy You might be the crazy, might crazy parent. Be the crazy. But here's, here's how you know also that you might be the crazy parent is that if you make the New York Times cover with this headline is my retirement plan is you. <laughs> I mean, and I have gotten so much. Thank you, James, for sharing this with us. Uh-huh. James is part of the Money Guy family. He has sent this article, article to me, and I was like, finally, I have something I can hang my hat on because we have been telling you for years, I'll say for decades, that you do not want to get the financial order of operations wrong where you're saving for the kiddos' college before you have your retirement taken care of. Yep. Because if you do it, you're going to get the reward of being on the New York Times, letting your children know, your adult children, that congratulations, I loved you so much. I made you the center of my universe that I'm living in your basement because <laughs> I want to pay you back with how miserable I was with not having anything but you that I'm now going to be in your basement for years to come. Look, we all remember being on an airplane and they always say, hey, if something happens, make sure you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you try to help others before you try to put it on your children. Your financial life is no different. You have to make sure that you are on firm financial footing before you can start helping the kids. Because one of the things that's going to teach your kids is how to be on their own, how to establish financial foundations for themselves. If you get that out of whack, it's just like Brian said, the worst gift you can give your kids is involuntarily moving into their basement. Now, if you want to move in and they watch that, it's wonderful, awesome, that's great. Well, I, I wanted to be because that's the choice. Because you want I do. To, I mean, I, look, to. I'm jealous of some of my neighbors who have the whole setup where parents live, you know, down the street, and then all the siblings and everything mm-hmm. around. That that's an awesome structure. Sure. I love that expanded family unit. But you just want to make sure it's by choice. That's right. Not because you made poor decisions. And that's why, if you want to know, this is just to give you perspective. If you go to moneyguy.com slash resources, we have the nine steps of the yep. financial order of operation. You know where kids' education falls? It falls on number eight prepaid future expenses. Well, number eight, that's almost at the end, Brian. That's not like number one or two. That's like eight. That's Those like second from the last. sweet children that, look, I love my kids. I don't want y'all to misread this and think that you got the Grinch here because you want to know who's wearing the Christmas sweaters around Christmas time? It's this nerdy guy right here. <laughs> so I love the kiddos. Don't mishear me. But I just want you to make sure you get this right. I mean, there are so many other things that are wealth creators that are ways that keep your life out of the ditch. Way before you get to number eight, this only thing that is before this or after this is prepaying low interest debt like your mortgage. Which is number two. Which is so, number two. So we it's covered so today. interesting that there are seven steps before you can even consider the kiddos. Make sure you're not screwing that up because that is going to be what puts you in a completely different financial situation. We've shown you so many case studies today that same dollar for dollar case studies of money went 
chose to go this left instead of going this right, and they came out to two completely different answers and terminal values. We don't want you to make those mistakes. So what I think is so interesting, Brian, is as we were going through this, talking about these case studies, again, we have almost four decades of experience working with people. We sort of recognized that there are some common threads. There are some common traits. And one of the things that we figured out is uh, there's an instruction manual for your finances, and we call it the financial order of operations. You can go through the steps, deductibles covered, match from employer, high interest debt, emergency reserves, Roth or HSA tax-free accounts, max out retirement options, hyper-accumulate, the three-bucket strategy, prepay your future expenses, and low interest debt prepayment. What I think is so interesting is every one of those case studies we went through, had they followed the financial order operations, had they not gotten things out of whack, every single one of them would have ended up in a better situation than they did if only they would have followed the steps, if only they would have applied the correct PEMDAS to their financial circumstance. So uh, my, my, here's my challenge for you guys. First of all, I want you to subscribe to the channel. I am so, I mean, we've got to be within 10 of this thing flipping over to 80,000, which thank you, thank you, thank you for the Money Guy family. But I want you to go to moneyguy.com slash resources, download the free sure. food deliverable, because that's going to let you see all nine steps. We lay that out for you. See where you are. Take an inventory of, have I made it through? Have I gotten anything out of order? And then try to figure out, how can I improve the situation? Sure. Now, if you get to it and you're like, I've done this well, but I'm stuck in five, six, or seven. I don't know how to get those things completely right. We have gone in a completely new place for the Money Guy family. I think you can tell by the 401k show we just mm -hmm. did, even the way we've laid out today's show. We want the abundance cycle to stay intact, meaning that you're going to come here and we're going to load you up with so much free advice. You can't believe you're going to look at your spouse when you, you get them listening to nerdy stuff like this too and be like, can you believe these guys are giving this away? And that's by, look, we're setting our own beautiful trap for you in the fact that, and look, I'll call it that because setting what I want you to do trap. is I want you to come <laughs> learn, apply, grow your finances, reach a level of success because we've given you so much free advice that you will get to a point of graduation and go, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I am now at the point I need to hire a financial advisor. We have done it right. Well, I've realized there's a lot in between that learn, apply, and grow sure. in the steps because we're getting, this is no kidding, guys. I got to tell you, we have a whole team of financial advisors and support staff um, that we get thousands of emails from yep. you guys asking us questions and we work really hard to try to get you a lot of answers and a lot of them are process questions sure. and it made me realize oh my goodness we're giving all this great free advice but we're not giving enough follow-through we're not doing worksheets we're not doing data gathering yep. forms we're not doing the parts that will accelerate the process yeah you can come watch this show and probably listen to three years worth of our archives and have everything figured out but if you want to maximize just like i know we're the 20 percent we have a path now, and that's with the Financial Order of Operations course. Yep. So go do the free resource. See if you're stuck. See if you need the worksheets. See if you need the data gathering. See if you need the motivation from your favorite nerdy guys that hang out with you. And that's where the course comes in. I think there's a little confusion about that, so I wanted to make sure I clarified so you guys knew what the why was for this course. Nothing has changed. We're going to keep loading you up with tons of free advice. We're just trying to accelerate the process. So those, so those of you 
that don't want to do three years worth of data unless you just want to be entertained, you can accelerate the process and really speed up the implementation of the financial order of operations. Yeah, and you can go see that at learn.moneyguide.com. Go check it out, see what it's about, see what you think. Uh, and we are excited. Uh, it will be going live on October 1st. But right now you can order in the pre-order phase. And we got a little bit of a discount and sending you a little bit of swag when you do that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, who doesn't love discount? You know, so discount plus the elusive tumbler. All that can be yours. But we're going to keep giving you what we do. Remember, 100000 by year in, not going to happen unless you subscribe. We're trying to stall so much so it goes over 80000 because I thought it was going to. You know what? We're going to answer some questions here at the end, and we're going to – you want to give away some of these today? Yeah, let's, let's give, give away, away some. some. We're going to answer some questions, uh, and here's my hope. While we're answering questions, I hope it crosses over. If you're renting your seat in the audience, make sure you subscribe, and uh, thank you for letting us do this show with you. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.